Certain information set forth in the podcast may contain forward-looking statements under applicable security laws. These statements are not guarantees of future performance, and undue reliance should not be placed on them. Although forward-looking statements contained in this presentation are based upon what management of the company believes to be reasonable assumptions, there can be no assurance that forward-looking statements will prove to be accurate. LifeSci Advisors and the company undertake no obligation to update forward-looking statements in the podcast should circumstances or management's estimates or opinions change. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not an offer or solicitation to buy securities and does not constitute investment advice. Most of the antidepressants, uh, you know, the SSRIs take four, eight, ten weeks to be effective. And we have a breakthrough product, uh, except it's only an injectable, where you can get rid of this serious condition in two and a half days. So, And what we'll be doing is you know, basically coming with an oral presentation that has the potential to relieve your symptoms of depression, postpartum depression, in two to three days. Hello, my name is Neil Canavan, and this is Benchtop Bios, a podcast series by LifeSite Partners where we introduce healthcare investors to the people and the pipelines driving the biotech sector forward. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Mahesh Patel, President and CEO of Lipazine. Doctor, welcome to Benchtop Bios. Now, as always, to orient our listeners, let's start out with an elevator pitch for the company in question, Mahesh. Where is Lipazine located? How long have you been in business? And what sort of business are you in? Neil, thanks for giving me this opportunity to speak with you. So I'm Mahesh Patel, President, CEO, and co-founder of Lipazine. We are a, a specialty biopharmaceutical company focused on CNS as our core focus in treating CNS disorders. We're located in Salt Lake City. Our niche is that we are able with our proprietary technology to enable effective oral delivery of molecules that historically have been very difficult to come up with an oral formulation. We have applied this technology to several products. Independent of therapeutic category, our technology works. Our technology is best in class oral delivery solution. So, in fact, if you had a water-insoluble drug, our technology will deliver it most effectively to the absorption side for effective absorption. We'll get more detail on that in just a few minutes. But first, I want to keep with the mission of Benchtop Bios because first, we want to know a bit about you. You're the guy in charge. You're the co-founder. So, let me just start right at the beginning, sir. Where were you born? I was born in India. I immigrated to U.S. in 1980. How old were you? I was 21 when I moved here. Okay, so where did you move to? I moved to Cincinnati. That's where I did my master's in physical pharmacy. Do you remember the first time you saw snow? Yeah, it was the first Thanksgiving uh, in 1980. And that was very different coming from Bombay, you know, I'll call Mumbai. Yeah, it was a fantastic experience to first experience the snow. Cool. I mean, that's got to be a huge shift from Bombay to Cincinnati. All right. So you mentioned you have a degree in pharmacy, University of Cincinnati. Why pharmacy? Was this something maybe your parents came up with or this is a natural interest? Growing up, I had an uncle who was a medical doctor and that was helping him out and learning about medicines. My family business is all in real estate, but I was fascinated with medicines and its use and names. And I graduated, uh, got a degree in pharmacy, and then 
while I was in college, I also was interested in an area called drug delivery, and I was fascinated by this mm-hmm. worldwide leader in drug delivery, Dr. Higuchi. So I always wanted to pursue a graduate degree with him. That's one of the reasons I moved to the U.S. and got into a program called physical pharmacy. So basically what it is, it's application of physical chemistry. I mean, that's the factual, the truth in science applied to medicines. And it involved quite a bit of mathematics. I was going to say PCAM. I know PCAM, and it was awful. Yeah, so PCAM is a tough one. A lot of people stay away from it, but I was oh challenged God. to see and apply that. You know, so it's got the principles of chemical engineering and chemistry and how you apply to formulation science right. to design a formulation that would be more effective relative to the other opportunities. So that's attracted to physical pharmacy. And then I continued on, and my dream came true when I got a PhD admission with Dr. William Higuchi, with whom I co-founded this company. And I did my doctorate under him at University of Utah. I started out at University of Michigan, where he was a professor, but then he moved to Salt Lake City. And you um, followed him, wow. And I wanted to uh, work with him um, and got my doctorate with him. Upon graduation, there were not too many opportunities in Salt Lake. No, so I, <laughs> oh, what a surprise. <laughs> yeah, I, I ended up taking a position at a Midwestern company called Upjohn at the time, and which became Pharmacy and Upjohn and uh, Pharmacy Pfizer today. So wait, 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 wait. So you left the bench and then you immediately went into an advisory role? Uh, no, I, I took a full-time position as a scientist at, at Upjohn upon graduation. Okay. And then I worked there for good 10 years uh, in, in a senior scientific leadership positions. And then I accidentally ran into my professor at one of the academy meetings, and I proposed an idea that I may have a solution for improving bioavailability, oral bioavailability of highly water-insoluble drugs. And that idea, quite frankly, came from, at the time, uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, a drug that was marketed by Roche called Sacrinavir had on its label that it does not have any antiviral activity or anti-AIDS activity if not taken with food. So that intrigued me quite a bit. And I thought, let me chat with my professor. He's a big name in drug delivery. He's been a a, pioneer in gastrointestinal and oral absorption. And uh, one thing led to another. Basically, it turns out that uh, when you eat meals, the fat in your food gets digested through mono and Mm -hmm. monoglycerides. And your gallbladder will secrete bile and form these beautiful carriers. Myself, that nature has been, you know, transporting uh, water insoluble molecules, vitamin D, E, and other nutrients. So we thought, wouldn't it be nice if we provide a solution with using bioacceptable lipids and come up with our own carriers that are better than the natural carriers and enable oral absorption of molecules that historically people have been having challenges in terms of coming with an oral presentation. So that was the birth of the company. That's when I moved back to Salt Lake because he was still a professor there. That's how we embarked upon this journey of providing solutions to improve uh, oral bioavailability of molecules that historically nobody was able to do a good job with it. All right. So I like this story from the science aspect. You know, the scientist and his mentor come up with this possible potential solution and start a company. However, the danger part of this story sounds to me like you never run a company before. So <laughs> how did you think that this was going to be easy or at least not impossible? It was uh, very well 
norm that there is an unmet need uh, because the discovery scanners were discovering molecules that were highly involvement soluble. Mm-hmm. All my professors contacts insights to the company it was well known that producing these water insoluble molecules by truckload. So it was a no risk proposition and always wanted to provide effective solutions to this problem that, uh, you know, the industry was facing and who else to do with and with. Uh, I meant more along the lines of like, how big a team were you pushing it up, John? It was about 18 to 20 people, right? So I was having a group called specialty products. Uh, lipid drug delivery was our focus, but we were more into injectable lipid drug delivery. All right. So when you started your company, you you were you came right for the bench. You started a company. Give me an example of one thing you're like, wow, I did not learn that in school. Yeah. In the school, uh, you take all these advanced courses, right? In calculus and thermodynamics and whatnot. I guess the thing that you learn is that you identify an opportunity and be persistent in trying to come up with a solution that is not really taught in school. And you got to know when to quit. Uh Oh, yeah, right. So I think, you know, those are the persistence, I would say, and being resourceful, right? When you start out, you hardly have anything. You know, it was myself and another scientist that we hired. and. While at Upjohn, I had a lot of resources available, but when you start a company, you have minimal resources and one has to be very resourceful and being flexible and adaptable because market conditions change, but you got to stay focused on your mission is to provide effective solution to the problem that's delivery of, uh, effective delivery of water-insoluble drugs. I'm going to tell a little story first, but I'm going to preface it with the tagline of your company. And that is, quote, enabling oral drug delivery to improve patient compliance, end quote. So now I'm going to tell a little story about compliance. I was covering an ophthalmology meeting, and this gentleman got up to present on the issue of compliance. And he said he invented this new eyedropper for glaucoma. And what the dropper would do is count the drops that it had dispensed because he wanted to keep track of how patients were using the drug. So he thought he was a very clever man. But one day he's looking out his office window into the parking lot and he sees a patient arrive and they open the car door and they start dropping the drops out the door onto the ground till, until it gets to the right count to make it look like they've been compliant and then they came into their appointment. So with an overly lengthy lead-in, you're talking about my cells. I can see how your approach would improve oral and bioavailability. Speak to me about the point of compliance. How are you improving compliance? I guess in uh, often cases, not just improving bioavailability. So improve bioavailability, I guess, is one aspect of our technology. But for the first time with our technology, you're able to enable oral delivery of drugs that never been possible, which otherwise would be delivered via injections, which is invasive, or topical gels, which are inconvenient and messy. So our technology really enables for the first time molecules that nobody is able to do it with conventional technology. And for example, a preterm birth acid, the hydroxyprogesterone caprid molecule, it's a 50-year-old molecule, but the only commercial product is in an intramuscular injection form, which is very mm-hmm. painful. And we've enabled it as a oral, you know, in a 1107 candidate. And same thing too for the neurosteroids. So historically, neurosteroids, which we just announced that we have enabled oral delivery of endogenous neurosteroids. Historically, nobody else has been ever able to do that. So we believe that 
like enabling first oral again uh, for the neurostore there is an approved product for depression which I'll talk later it's a intravenous injection that a mother has to get hospitalized and have it to uh, well, yeah. before we get too much into it, because I do want to spend a lot of time on that, I'm going to first run through, you've had a shift in refocusing the company into these CNS assets that we're going to be talking about in just a moment. Right. But there are three assets I want to touch on that are available for light and senior partnering. One of them is already approved, so there's already some revenue there. I'm just going to briefly mention them. The first is called Talando, that is the brand name. This is a testosterone replacement therapy. Obviously, the mechanism is de-risk because this product is already out there uh, in various modalities. But almost all of them that I'm aware of are topical. This is oral. And in theory, this will make it easier to take. As I said, this already is on the market. Could you briefly mention what's the market here and how much you think you can capture with this agent? Yeah, so you're right. The product is approved and it's launched. We had licensed to a commercial partner called Halozyme, and they have launched it uh, about three months ago. Roughly, just to let you know that the testosterone replacement therapy is a large market, two million users, and uh, roughly seven to eight million scripts written annually. Most of the products that are on the market require a titration, means you know you adjust the doses to you know customize the dose to the patient. Right. It requires quite a few visits to the doctor's office, but uh, oral, it's a no-brainer. It's a convenient patient and prescriber uh, prefer option. We believe it should gain significant market share. I'm deferring the actual projections to my commercial partner, right. but it's a large pie in terms of uh, 7 million scripts, and we think it should gain significant market share. I to predict exact numbers, but the lowest hanging fruit would be the replacement of topicals, which are messy and greasy, so it's an obvious lowest hanging fruit. And that market itself is roughly 20% of the 7 million scripts. So we think that's the target potential of at least getting to 1 million or 1.2 million. That's the market potential. All right. There are two more assets that are available for partnering and licensing. One LPCN 1144. This is an oral drug to treat non-serotic NASH. Uh, this is a pretty difficult market here. Just briefly, where is it in development should a partner want to latch onto it? Yeah, so we have LPC in the 1144. Let's target for non-serotic NASH. Uh, we just announced late last year our phase two results from a proof of concept study. We got some extraordinary results, you know, in terms of NASH resolution without worsening fibrosis. Mm -hmm. And we also a few months ago also announced the open label extension results. That's therapy that patients were who continued on to 72 weeks of treatment. The bottom line here is that the results are compared to other products in development, compared in terms of NASH resolutions, you know, was spectacular. It also resulted in liver fat reduction as well as uh, liver enzyme reduction. So it's available for licensing going forward. We were hoping to partner it with companies that would want to take advantage of an oral endogenous molecule that mm -hmm. means it would potential for better benefit to risk profile. All right. So we have one more uh, I want to discuss before we go to the CNS assets. And this is 1107. This is for the prevention of preterm birth. This asset seems to me a little different from the others. How did you find it and what's the business plan here? 
Yeah, it's, it appears different, but it's the same theme. Like it's highly, highly water soluble molecule that okay. I mentioned. It's been around for 50 years and nobody was able to do an oral and we are the first ones to enable an oral presentation for it. We have advanced it to phase three readiness status and uh, it's available for licensing. You know, there's only a injectable form that's on the market. Like I mentioned, the intramuscular injection, which is quite painful. A pregnant mother has to get a weekly shot of that injection for 16 to 20 weeks. Very recently, uh, a FDA hearing was held last few days ago, and they have proposed to withdraw that injectable off the market if that happens. Ours would be the most advanced asset in development and mm. has the potential to be the standard of care. It's a huge unmet need in a developed country like ours, 10 to 12% of born preterm. And that has huge impact on mortality and morbidity. So we believe that's an asset that would be quite appealing to quite a few players. And since okay. we focus on CNS, uh, we are kind of... So, all right. So let's launch into the CNS. This is the new focus. We're lining up all the soldiers to shoot at this. This is LPCN 1154. This is for postpartum depression. This, I would assume lots of competition in this space, depression, various, God knows how many different agents there are. What's the angle here? What's the differentiator for this product? Yeah, so first let me just give you a little bit of background on why CNS, right? CNS is a large okay. <laughs> growing market. There are quite a few un, you know, market that needs to be addressed. And there is a significant unmet need. And we have a potential to come up with some label differentiating you know, compared to standard of care. What has happened is our technology platform is so powerful that it has enabled for the first time oral, effective oral delivery of endogenous neuroactive steroids. I mean, endogenous, it's got its benefits because the uh, body has already seen that molecule and it has uh, its tolerability is not unknown. So that's one of the reasons because we're the only ones in the world who can enable the oral delivery of uh, neuroactive steroids. That's why we focus on CNS. There are quite a few opportunities there, but we are highly focused on the first opportunity, LPCN 1154, that's oral you know, presentation for postpartum depression. Now, postpartum depression is a serious unmet need. It, a mother often gets depression a few weeks post-delivery, and there is only one product available for treatment of postpartum depression. That's a injectable IV infusion. And for that, the mother has to check into a hospital and go through a 60-hour of infusion, uh, separate herself from the baby, and and then there's all this burden uh, and anxiety about IV infusion, right? Uh, the pump malfunction to you name it what. And what we'll be bringing to the table would be a oral presentation, so that would be non-invasive and wouldn't have all the burdens of uh, IV. But uh, you asked me a question, you know, it's quite crowded. Actually, postpartum depression is a niche area, and it's only one drug approved. Most of the antidepressants, uh, you know, the SSRIs take four, eight, ten weeks to be effective. And we have a breakthrough product, uh, except it's only an injectable, where you can get rid of this serious condition in two and a half days. So, and what we'll be doing is, you know, basically coming with an oral presentation that has the potential to relieve your symptoms of depression, postpartum depression in two to three days. So right now, the unmet need in depression space is rapid acting, rapid onset, antidepressant. Where are we in development? So I'm pleased to announce that we got a 
feedback from the FDA where we had proposed to FDA that would a bio bridge to the injectable, that means matching the blood levels would, you know, be sufficient for us to check the box on efficacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were quite excited that FDA afforded us that opportunity. They say, yeah, that pathway seems reasonable. So currently we are doing a pilot study to match the comparative levels, uh, so the head-to-head comparison with the injectable product. We think there's highly likelihood we should be able to match because we have done a couple of studies where we could show that we could get levels comparable to what the mothers typically have in the third trimester of pregnancy. That's ongoing. We should have the data from this, you know, comparative biobridge study sometime in the first half of next year. And after that, we would meet with the FDA and basically set the design for the pivotal study that would be needed. So by matching blood levels, we would get the efficacy of what the injectable has got. And what that means is we don't have to deal with all these placebo effects and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that stuff that's needed. So it's a expedited way to get to the finish line. Excellent. All right. And now we're going to close out with one more asset. This is LPCN 2101. This is again for women, specifically with epilepsy. And these are women that might be having kids. For those in the audience that don't know this, all epilepsy drugs that I'm aware of, if you're going to get pregnant, you need to stop taking them or you need to proceed with extreme caution because it will affect the baby. Doctor, what's the play here? How have we improved? Yeah, so, you know, Neil, there are 30-some drugs approved for epilepsy, but almost all of them carry this risk of fetal toxicity. So for women of childbearing age, and it's real, uh, there are like 900,000 women of childbearing age that have active epilepsy. So if you have uh, epilepsy first, order of business is to control the seizures. But at the same time, there's a potential for you to accidentally get pregnant. (laughs) Or if you're planning to start a family, you need to consider your options. Like you mentioned, either need to monitor the levels or titrate the levels. In fact, I know of cases where women stop taking the drug because they're worried about if they're pregnant, worried about, you know, hurting the baby. So having an endogenous molecule, that means the women's body has already seen that molecule would lend us some safety advantages over the synthetic ones that are commercially sold. And by the way, there is not a single epilepsy product that's directly or specifically approved for women with epilepsy. There's a huge unmet need. And so that's the play, endogenous neurosteroid for women with epilepsy. That's because also there's drug-drug interactions. So some of these anti-epileptic medicines do interact with contraception. And so there's a higher potential of you getting accidentally pregnant. And, and I think we believe we could bring to the table less drug-drug interactions, endogenous, potentially safe. So that's the play. So talk to me briefly about the trial that you're going to be involved in or you are involved in, and talk to me about patient recruitment in this setting. Sounds like it might be a challenge. You're planning to do a phase two study, and the patient recruitment challenge is still there is like nine 100,000 women of childbearing age, mm. given that none is approved for specifically for, for women of childbearing age, I think we should be able to entice patients to join the studies because of the endogenous nature of the molecule. Plus, the other thing to note is that our molecule also could address comorbidities associated with epilepsy in these patients because oh, yeah. they're really depressed and anxious and uh, our neurosteroid has a potential to also 
make an impact on anxiety and depression. So this should help with recruiting. All right, sir. So we've heard about the drugs available for licensing and the drugs available for development in-house. And now for the lawyers, we have a question. Where's the IP for all of this? So we have a technology IP as well as product-specific intellectual property. We have patents filed and issued, I think, for the assets that we are planning to partner. We already have issued patents for testosterone products, and we have an orphan drug designation, as well as a very strong patent portfolio for the preterm worth asset. Similar things could be said for the NASH. This is a new discovery with regards to endogenous neuroactive steroids. We have one issued patent and quite a few recently filed. So I guess we'll have, should we get approved and be on the market, we will have decent revenue sustainability. Splendid. And finally, we have to talk about money. The bankers always want to know that. Sir, what is your current runway and what sort of conversations would you like to have in the upcoming JP Morgan conference? Yeah, so good question, Neil. You know, we have 30 some million in the bank. I would say we never had more money in the history of a company in cash. We have zero debt. We have paid down our debt and we do have revenue potential from the sales uh, royalties and, and milestones are from the T-Lando, the approved product that's partnered. Of course, New development uh, takes money and will be opportunistic in terms of raising money, but our focus is going to be on the CNS assets. Mm-hmm. We can do whatever we need to do to move the needle and get to the finish line on the CNS assets. At JP Morgan, I think, you know, we'd love to enhance our discussions with potential partners on the assets that we have slated for partnering to unlock the value. I mean, uh, to advance the product. Risk diversification, non-dilutive financing, you know, those, those are some of the reasons we would want to talk on the non-core assets. And of course, we want to talk about the differentiating value drivers or label differentiating value drivers for a standard of care and talk to our competition as well as potential licensees and bankers who could help fund our program. All right, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap. Today, my guest has been Dr. Mahesh Patel. He is the president and CEO of Lipazine. Doctor, thank you so much for joining me today. All right, Neil, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this week's Benchtop Bios. I hope that this episode will serve as yet another data point to guide you in your investment strategies. If you wish to hear more of LifeSize Benchtop Bios, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Also, if there's a company or a particular executive you'd like to get to know, I do take requests. Please send those to ncanada at lifesciadvisors.com. Until next week then, goodbye, or for that matter, good sell, whatever boosts your portfolio.